Hey everybody, I'm Drew Martin, and this is the Mobility Minute Podcast. Mobility is sometimes hard to define, and this show is designed as a platform for forward-thinking individuals who understand the importance of mobility as a form of recovery. Today, we speak with Joanne Brooks. Joanne is a quality and safety consultant who's been in healthcare for over 45 years. She retired from IU Health, a multi-hospital healthcare system based in Indianapolis, Indiana, at the end of 2018, where she was System VP of Patient Safety and Quality. She currently consults healthcare organizations, pharma, and medical technology in the areas of healthcare safety and quality, CMS pay for performance, and preventative non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia. We are lucky to have Joanne on the Mobility Minute podcast as we unpack hospital safety and quality and how patient mobility directly affects key measures to which a hospital is evaluated. Let's get to our conversation with Joanne. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for taking some time to share with our listeners the link between mobility and safety. To kick things off, can you give us a brief overview of the importance of safety and quality in the hospital for those who have no idea what we're talking about? Yeah, I think the modern age of safety and qualities for hospitals started after the publication of To Air is Human, which was published in 1999 by the National Institutes of Health, and then in 2001, Crossing the Quality Chasm, also published by the Institutes of Medicine. And especially with these two publications, the public became very aware of problems that were happening in the hospital. Um, and it was also a wake-up call for hospitals to begin to examine their own quality and safety. Up until this time, hospitals really weren't looking in any in-depth way about their in their own uh, quality and safety issues that they were facing. And as the hospitals became more focused, so did the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Uh, as they begin evaluating complications related to their uh, Medicare surgical population. Um, At this same time, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality put out, began publishing the patient safety indicators, which we still use today, um, because all of a sudden quality and safety became a a focus for um, everyone. In 2005, 10 measures were required for for hospitals to um, have with, with which is called pay for reporting. And those 10 measures related to mortality, some of the HCAPs, patient satisfaction data, and the surgical care improvement project uh, measures. So really kind of really started in 2005 where hospitals then were required to um, abstract and report these measures to CMS. Today, there's a multitude of measures that hospitals are required to report to CMS. and I think the quality departments are key in hospitals for they're required to do, do the abstracting, um, interpreting the data, helping to communicate that data, disseminate it, and also helping to develop quality uh, improvement projects to improve the safety and quality within the hospital setting. Uh, and also today, CMS has moved from pay for performance with programs such as value-based purchasing, the Hospital Readmission Reduction Program, and the Hospital Acquired Condition Program. In addition to CMS looking at quality, uh, over 95% of third-party payers also have quality measures that they require hospitals to report um, on, and they, they identify uh, usually certain measures that CMS is already requiring, but uh, third-party payers are also very interested in quality and safety. 
And also, then when you look at the board of directors for hospitals, they are very interested in, in quality and safety. The, the board is responsible for the quality and safety of a hospital. And you'll find it as the number one or number two uh, item on every agenda for board of directors. Now, with COVID occurring, it may fall down a little bit, but uh, it is a top uh, priority for the board of directors meetings. Here, the reporting of how the hospital is doing and what they're doing to improve areas where they may not be um, uh, doing as well as they should. So uh, it's a huge uh, area, patient safety and quality for hospitals today. Thank you for that background. Now, we know that there's links between mobility and some of the focus around safety and quality. But how does patient immobility directly affect costs for hospitals? Uh, the consequences of immobility is enormous for the patient. Uh, it can lead to uh, increased morbidity and as well as mortality. Uh, if we think about immobility, it really impacts every system of the body, uh, the physiology of bed rest and immobility. And I think uh, one article that I read just recently talked about decreased functional status, which occurs in the hospital setting due to immobility, is really can be discussed can be described as a uh, functional disability in the hospital. Now, there are numerous complications associated with immobility, ventilator-associated pneumonia or non and non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonia, called HAP, hospital-acquired pressure injuries, falls, um, venous thromboembolism, VTEs, uh, delirium, also, hospitals uh, with patients who have immobility may have, those patients may have an increased length of stay. And also, hospital readmissions can be related to immobility during the hospital setting. The cost to hospitals and our healthcare system is huge. Um, when we think about ventilator-associated pneumonias and non-ventilator hospital-acquired pneumonias, it's about $40,000 per case. When we think about hospital-acquired pressure injuries, uh, they cost about $26.8 billion per year. That was from some 2019 data. And interesting for an average 300-bed community hospital um, that had a incidence rate of 2.4% of hospital-acquired pressure injuries, the cost of that hospital is about $14 million per year to both treat and prevent hospital-acquired pressure injuries. So it's uh, very costly. We talk about falls because when patients are immobile um, and we begin to get them up, they may, uh, we may have a fall or because they're a fall risk, often we don't get them up and get them moving as we should. Uh, falls with injuries cost about $14,000 per case, but you'll see a variety of, of costs uh, uh, depends on, on the patient. And in a, a recent legal uh a document, a legal article came out in 2019 looking at um, legal issues related to falls. For non-fatal falls, about $50 billion per year is paid out. Okay, So hospitals are paying out $50 billion per year for non-fatal falls. And for fatal falls, often those fatal falls are ones we see where a patient's on an anticoagulant, they fall, they end up with a, a bleed in the head. Um, those costs are about $754 million per year. And lastly, looking at VTE, uh, CDC website, they cost about $10 billion per year. 
And we also know that once a patient has a VT, they're at very high risk of reoccurrence. So uh, morbidity uh, related to one VTE is going to make them even highly uh, more risk for a secondary VTE at a later time. So what exactly am I missing here? It seems like mobility ought to be at least considered in the conversation to see some of these massive costs dwindle. What has led to this culture of immobility and why are people hesitant to get these patients up out of bed? I think the culture of immobility um, sadly has been cultured over time. Has been cultured over time. Uh, I think everyone knows that mobilizing the ambulating patient is fundamental to uh, patient care, but I think as healthcare has become more complex and we have more technology, unfortunately, then mobilizing and ambulating patients has fallen down on the priority list. Um, we need to consider uh, mobility and ambulating patients as a treatment, not just as something we need to check off as it's being done on a daily basis or how many times per day that we should be doing it. So it really needs to be considered as a treatment because it is a treatment to prevent uh, other complications and and problems within the hospital setting. So it actually is a treatment. I think also when we talk about uh, the technology today, when we look at um, pharmaceuticals, I think sometimes uh, nursing gets a little bit um, looks at patient getting anoxaparin to prevent VTE and things up we're taking care of the VTE, but in fact, that treatment with anoxaparin injections is just part of that prevention of VTE. Mobility is another part of that intervention that needs to go along with it. So those are kind of the things that uh, today, I think, that culture of immobility. Um, In the older days, and I've been in healthcare over 45 years, I mean, mobilization was a priority. Um, Physical therapy came in with each patient to evaluate them and help to ambulate those patients. Um, And we know today that physical therapy is in great demand. Um, They don't have the time to come in and and actually evaluate every patient and help with ambulation. So I think uh, all mobilization efforts really falls on nursing shoulders, and it is they are accountable for mobilizing patients. But um, that accountability can also uh, fall to others to help with that mobilization, whether it's PT, if they're in the room for something else, or respiratory therapy, or the provider themselves being there. Um, nursing is the, the person or the, the group accountable for mobilizing those patients, uh, but uh, others can help in that process as well. I think it's um, sad that today we have to use our resources uh, in our quality departments to look and look at improving our uh, mobilization efforts and programs in our hospitals. That should be something that is really fundamental and and, uh, part of the basic things that we do for patients every day. Um, But uh, in fact, a lot of hospitals have uh, started looking at uh, mobilization programs and protocols And that's great because now that awareness is coming back up as the importance with uh, mobilization and and also understanding the issues of immobility in patients. Um, And it's key that we have a way to measure that uh, so that it's not just a check mark that the patient was mobilized. We need a way to really look at uh, 
how often that patient is mobilized and what was that mobilization? Was it dangling? Was it sitting up in a chair? Was it actually taking steps? Um, because those are things we need to have a nice progression of patients so that when they're ready to go home, they're ready to be functionally um, able to go home and function in their home and have a quality of life. Exactly, because quality of life is the ultimate goal for patient recovery, right? And without a baseline, it can be hard to gauge recovery status of a patient. Uh, What is functional status, and why is it important to measure before, during, and after a hospital stay? Well, first off, some definitions of functional status. You'll find several definitions and, and tools in the literature. Oftentimes, those tools are looking not only on how that patient can mobilize or or their ability to mobilize, but also looks at emotional status and quality of life and in multiple ways. Uh, I think when we talk about immobile, uh, immobility, we're talking about functional status, really looking at that patient's ability to get up and move independently uh, over time. And I think we do need uh, a way to discreetly measure functional status uh, because everyone has a little bit different definition, or again, it's just a check mark or a box that we use uh, regarding if the patient has mobilized. But we really do need something that is much more discreet that everyone is using. And when we talk about really mobilizing patients, uh, getting rid of that immobility, getting away from immobility, but really mobilizing them from the time they come into the hospital in some way, shape, or form, we need to know what they're doing preoperatively or pre-hospital uh, setting, whatever they're in for. And so I think it's key if we have an idea of how that patient is, has been doing in the their setting prior to coming in the hospital. That setting may be at home. It may be in a skilled facility. It may be in a long-term care facility. We need to have an idea of what that you know, their baseline is before they came into the hospital. And then we need to measure that throughout the hospital setting to determine by the time we're ready to discharge that patient, are they back to where they were with their functional status before we came in? Because it's a disservice to patients to have them leaving the hospital in worse shape than they came in. And oftentimes immobility is part of that problem because patients are in bed, they're not moving around, um, therefore... uh, they, you know, they lose that ability to, to mobilize and be independent. You know, there's some uh, literature out there, and I can't cite what the literature actually where it comes from, but um, one day of being on bed rest takes at least seven days to recuperate from. Uh, and that, that's, uh, that people cite that a lot, but if you think about being in the hospital for seven days and really being immobile most of that time, that's a good 49 days and beyond that it's going to take to get back to your basic functional status. So um, immobility is huge. Um, and I think a, an article that I just read talked about that we need to mobilize hospitals to mobilize patients. And I think that's huge. We need to keep working on bringing it to the top as a priority for hospitals to work on mobilization of patients. Well, Joanne, I want to thank you for your time today. I think we got some good insight into the key motives behind safety and quality and how a focus on mobility can really change the narrative from increased risk to advanced recovery. So again, thank you very much. Thank you for the invitation to be on today's podcast. 